A couple times a year, we have membership class here at Community Alliance, which is an opportunity for you to find out everything you wanted to know and then some about our church and what we teach and what we're all about. After they go through that class, they fill out an application interviewed by the elders, and then at an appropriate time on a Sunday morning, we receive them officially into membership. So I'm going to read some names this morning of those who went through the fall class, literally, but because of the holidays, trying to get all the applications and the interviews done. You're going to see their pictures on the screen. They only come to the service they attend. So when you see these pictures, try to put yourself in uh, their context as hopefully get to know them as well. Josh and Shay Albrecht, Brandon and Jessica Aldinger. Brandon is here in our team here this morning. If you hear your name mentioned, would you come this way? Ashley and Corey Camisa, Brian and Nicole Farley, David Foster, Linda Fuchsia, Linda Leon, Lauren Fuchsia, Linda Leon, Jason and Kayla Mack, Linda Nowlett, Eric and Tabitha Singer, Ashley and Jeremy Sterling, Gail Shore, Jen Walker, and Patricia Whirl. Linda's here. Pat's over here. Obviously, you recognize that most of them were in the first service this morning. All right, if you're an elder here this morning, would you come down and stand with them as well? And as we uh, receive them into membership, we want to extend to them the right hand of fellowship. I want to ask you what you already know from the class, but I want to sum it down into five quick sentences to which you will say yes. Do you agree to live a biblical lifestyle, attend regularly, support our ministries, use your gifts for the glory of God, and get connected here to the family of God? Is that your desire this morning? Let me pray for you. Father, what a thrill to be a part of the family of God. When we receive you as Savior, we're a part of this incredible family called the church. And someday you'll bring us home, and we'll be forever in glory with you. And we'll be able to see and recognize faces from all around the globe who are a part of the family of God. But in your sovereignty, you place us in various churches. And these that are standing here in the first service this morning have chosen to not just attend Community Alliance, but to join it to be a regular, integral part of what goes on here. And I trust that they will be blessed by you in this decision. And years from now, they will feel this was a great decision and a great opportunity to use their gifts here at our church and around this community connected to us. And so, Father, bless them, use them in really powerful and profound ways. And may they continue to serve you and grow in you and become all that you've designed them to be in this journey together. So this morning, we ask your blessing to rest upon them and ask you to use them in your kingdom in our church here. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Congratulations. These gentlemen will give you the right hand of fellowship. Linda, Pat, it's a pleasure. I want to remind you that our team is in the Dominican Republic, and I know they would appreciate your prayers this morning. It took them a while to get there. It's hard to believe that this time of year flights get canceled, but one or two of them did. They had to go in two separate planes. And to get to the Dominican Republic, some left Pittsburgh, went to Detroit, to JFK, and down to DR. I'm not sure how that works. I think if I draw a straight line, it should go there somewhere. But they've been around the world for a while, at least around the country. And last night, about 9 o'clock, arrived there safely. So I know they would appreciate your prayers. This morning, probably about this time or maybe a little bit earlier, they are celebrating with the people in the DR. If you've never been on a mission trip, you ought to, but it will literally change your life. And they get the chance to see what God is doing in a country that is extremely poor, but who love God and sing and celebrate with enthusiasm like you can't imagine. So pray for them 
and pray that they get back here safely. Have a great time, safe time. They're building and working with uh, kids in a kids club kind of environment. So I know they would appreciate your prayers for that. How many of you enjoyed a baptism service last Sunday morning? How many of you would like to see me do it again on a Sunday morning? All right, quite a few of you. It really was a great time, an opportunity to be able to celebrate what God's doing in the life of people. And a number of months ago, when I felt led to do it on a Sunday morning, I thought, well, it would be fun for us as a family of God to celebrate with them. And I couldn't have been more pleased with how it went. I felt more fun last Sunday morning than Christmas Eve. I mean, it was just a great time to be here. If you didn't hear the stories in the first service, they're going to be online in a day or two. Go back in butlercac.org and kind of hear some of the other stories that you didn't get a chance to hear. For those of you who weren't here last Sunday morning, man, did you miss it. I know one of the things that I said years and years ago, we want in our environment to try to build in something special every once in a while so that all of us can be able to know, I do not want to miss a given Sunday. I don't want to miss any Sundays. And I want to be able to say to you, if you missed it, you really missed it. And you want to be here and want to see what God's doing. So watch those videos, the great stories that were shared. Specifically pray for them. They took a stand for Christ. Many of them, as you found out last Sunday morning, have recently come to faith in Christ. And before you and God and the kingdom of God and the kingdom of earth, they declared their allegiance to Jesus. And so I really encourage you to pray for them and with them. So often when I grew up, I heard stories like, well, I accepted Jesus when I was seven or eight or nine, Bible school or Sunday school. And of course, you know, then I went my own way, did my own thing, sowed wild oats, and then came back to Jesus somewhere around 30 or 20. And as if that's the norm. It wasn't supposed to be that way. And those who committed themselves to Christ at a very young age, man, pray for them. That God will continue to keep them strong and they'll faithfully grow day by day by day. Now, sometimes some of us think if our story isn't one of those where I was radically transformed, my story isn't as powerful as theirs and yours is. And so a few months from now, when we honor this and have the opportunity to do it again on a Sunday morning, if you've never been baptized before, and you would like to be, we're going to do it on a regular basis, and we're probably going to do it from now on on Sunday morning. It was so much fun, and uh, we want you to share in that as well. I know you know this, but life is filled with those kinds of amazing moments. It's also filled with some average moments, and it's also filled with some really deep valley moments. Sometimes things go incredibly well. Sometimes the bottom falls out. And what we wrestle with is how do I maintain balance in the midst of the ups and downs? Because as sure as I'm standing here, it's going to shift back and forth. Some days will be amazing. Other days will be really tough. Sometimes we can predict when it's going to happen. Sometimes we can't. And a lot of times the shifting occurs between the good and the bad and the ups and the downs for no apparent reason. One day things are going extremely well. Another day life unravels. And as far as you can tell, you didn't do anything different. Sometimes the cloud hangs on. Sometimes it lifts immediately. Sometimes the answers are obvious and the direction seemed clear. Other days you feel like you're in a thick fog and you wonder when is it ever going to lift. You find yourself asking questions like, did I have my devotions today? I mean, I felt like the bottom just fell out here. Maybe, maybe my devotions weren't long enough. Maybe I didn't read the right chapters. I know I prayed today, but boy, I just, just the world fell apart here. Maybe I didn't pray long enough. And we find ourselves trying to play a game if we're not careful to try to manipulate what God's doing or a life or occurrences of life by how long we pray or what we pray or the extent of what we pray. Sometimes it really is a correlation between the two, and other times it's just a part of life. 
Sometimes we can figure it out and sometimes we can't. It's like healing. Sometimes the answers come, sometimes they don't. And what I have to decide in the middle of that, do I trust God even when I don't quite understand what's going? And do I keep my balance in the midst of all of that uncertainty? We do try to figure it out. If, if life is positive, what did I do right? If life is negative, what did I do wrong? Believe it, if I can somehow discover what we did right, what we did wrong, we can control the ship. Now, you need to know that right choices and appropriate actions have a direct cause and effect impact on our lives, right? Sometimes life is a mess. And you know why it's a mess? Because you made some really stupid choices. Sometimes our life falls apart because we really made some bad decisions. Sometimes we're in really deep stuff because we made some decisions we shouldn't have made. And we know that. We may not sense it at the time, but when we begin to look at the whole circumstances of things and we find ourselves saying, God, why did you allow this to happen? I've often wondered if he would shout from heaven and said, you brought this on yourself. I told you what not to do. I told you what lines not to cross. Matter of fact, I was so clear on what to do and what not to do, I wrote a whole book on instructions. I wrote an entire book on instructions. A matter of fact, I wrote a half a book on some people who made some really bad decisions and got in some really bad trouble. Matter of fact, I gave a lot of examples about that about what's going to happen if you cross the line, if you do things you shouldn't do. I gave a lot of examples about how to stay faithful and how to stay committed and how to stay connected. And I gave you a real lot of examples about people who didn't. And so when you're wondering, God, how did I get in this mess? God says, let me be really clear for you. You didn't follow my advice. You didn't read my instructions. They've been around for a long time fascinating parallel in the old testament when it talks about the king who didn't follow god and because of that the people didn't as well and that's a really clear example on the impact that we have on a generation who comes behind us i hear parents every once in a while coming to me saying i just don't get it my kids don't seem interested in church they don't seem interested in spiritual things and i want to say this as lovingly and nicely as i know how it's because you've had them involved in every single activity under the sun they played every sport possibly available they've been gone all summer long at every activity under the sun and then you somehow every once in a while fit church or youth group into your plans and into your environment and then wonder why they don't follow god is, is that too honest? Okay, I just want to be sure. Now, it doesn't always happen that way. I know incredibly faithful parents who had their kids involved in everything whose children make a decision to go their own way and do their own thing. I certainly know that. I've seen it, you've seen it. But I also know there's a direct correlation between the example we set and those who come behind us and follow that. Every parent that stands in front of me knows that what I'm really doing on a Sunday morning is dedicating the parents and asking God to direct them because they have a huge responsibility to make sure this one who comes behind them finds them faithful and continues to follow God and to do everything they possibly can. And so sometimes life is just unpredictable. Sometimes you just get a flat tire. Not because God wanted you to slow down so you didn't get in that accident up ahead, although that may happen. And sometimes the enemy is out to get you, so he gives you the flat tire, and sometimes you just get a flat-out flat tire. Sometimes life is really unpredictable. 
And what I have to figure out is, and what I make sure of is that I'm on his path, I'm on the right path, doing the right things that I know he's asking me to do, so that when the unpredictability of life comes, I can stand strong and stable. Right? Does that make sense? Because that's what we're really looking for. In the middle of all of this unpredictability, how do I make sure that I don't let life unravel me and circumstances unravel me? And that's what I want to talk about this morning. How do we as spirit-filled Christians maintain our balance, our focus, and our center in the midst of that unpredictability? About Thursday or Friday in my preparation, as I anticipated doing this in one message, I realized that there is so much stuff in chapter 19, because all I'm going to do is use 18, or 19 and 20 as the foundation of the book of Acts for this morning. I could, give you a, I could be here till Thursday giving you stuff that would answer the broader question. I just want to use Acts, because that's where we've been as a foundation. So I went to Jim, and I said, would you mind preaching on the 8th? so that I can unpack this together in a couple of messages. And because I was the boss, he graciously said, certainly. <laughs> Acts 19, that's where we are this morning. And that's where we're going to be next week. Now, you don't have sermon notes in your bulletin. You will next Sunday. It's going to kind of pull all the pieces together of some of the stuff that I'm sharing. Acts 19, I'm going to start at the beginning to kind of lay the foundation. In your Bible, I always encourage you, Bible, iPad, whatever. The hard thing with iPad or, or your phone, you can't underline stuff or write notes. And that's why I always like to have the Bible with me. Acts 19, while Apollos was at Corinth, Paul took the road to the interior and arrived at Ephesus. Now, we read this, but I just want to give you the background. He found some disciples and he said to them, did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? No, they said, we haven't even heard of him. Paul said, then what baptism did you receive? John's, they replied. Paul said John's baptism was a baptism of repentance. That's what we celebrated last Sunday morning. He told the people to believe in the one coming after him, that is Jesus. On hearing this, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. When Paul placed his hands on them, the Spirit came on them, and they spoke in tongues and prophesied, about 12 men in all. It's the two balances of the sermons that we did a couple of weeks ago before the baptism service. Baptism in water of repentance, baptism of the Spirit and the power that goes with that. Verse 8. Paul entered the synagogue and spoke boldly there for about three months, arguing persuasively about the kingdom of God. Some of them became obstinate. They refused to believe and publicly maligned the way. That's what Christianity was called there. I grew up in the 60s and 70s, and we all had Bibles called what? The way. It was a living Bible, but it was called the way. It's where it came from. So Paul left them. He took disciples with him and had discussions daily. Underline that word, and I'll get to it in a moment and tell you why. In the lecture hall of Tyrrhenius. That went on for about two years. So that all the Jews and the Greeks who lived in the providence of Asia heard the word of the Lord. God did extraordinary miracles through Paul. So that even handkerchiefs and aprons that had touched him were taken to the sick. And their illnesses were cured. And the evil spirits left them. Some Jews went around driving out. Some Jews went around driving out spirits and tried to invoke the name of the Lord Jesus over those who were demon-possessed. They say, in the name of Jesus, whom Paul preaches. They don't know Jesus. So in the name of Jesus, whom Paul preaches, I command you to come out, saying that to the evil spirits. Seven sons of Sceva, the, G- the Jewish chief priests, were doing that. One day the evil spirit said to them, Jesus I know, Paul I know, I don't know you. The man who had the evil spirit jumped on them, overpowered them all, gave them such a beating they ran out of the house naked and bleeding. When this became known to the Jews and Greeks living in Ephesus, they were all seized in fear, and the name of the Lord Jesus was held in high honor. Many of those who believed now came openly and confessed what they had done. 
A number who had practiced sorcery brought their scrolls together and burned them publicly. When they calculated the value of the scrolls, the total came to about 50,000 drachmas. In this way, the word of the Lord spread widely and grew in power. Now, you can see why there's no way that we can unpack that in one message. Paul was teaching in the lecture hall of Tyrrhenius. They were doing something unique in that context because of the heat and the environment in which they were in the Middle East. In that area, they spoke a lot in the morning, took a siesta in the afternoon, and then had classes all day long and sometimes on well into the evening. And I'll give you an example of that in a moment. How many of you have siestas where you work? How many of you wish you had a siesta where you work? How many of you who are bosses would love to give your people siestas where they work? That's what I thought the hands would change pretty dramatically. Wouldn't it be cool just to be able to take a three-hour break in the afternoon, sleep for a while, and then come back and work till 10? Okay, well, maybe not. I know that's what would happen with some. I'll never forget my first experience going to the mission field in 1992 in Mali, West Africa. My dad, whose story I told you a number of weeks ago, found after the crisis with the bull experience, ended up in Guidepost magazine, ended up sharing his story in India. It so dramatically changed his life going to the mission field that he was never the same since. Started going year after year after year, taking time away from the farm, raising money to do it, and spent year after year after year going overseas. I think some now, somewhere around 15, 18 different mission trips. When I realized the sand of time was possibly running out of him doing those, I said to Khan, I'd love to go with him for one. So in 1992, I raised money and borrowed money from a friend and said, I'm going to the mission field with Dad. Got to Mali, West Africa to find out that it was 120 degrees every single day. Now, some of you say, well, it was a dry heat. Really? That's just the dumbest statement I've ever heard. <laughs> 120 degrees is hot. Dry, wet, I don't care what it is, 120 degrees is hot. We'd work in the morning. Now, we were in Mali, West Africa with no light anywhere other than a flashlight. I'm talking for 250 miles. So the African sky was absolutely breathtaking because there was nothing to keep the stars from shining. You get up as soon as the sun rose in the morning, eat some breakfast, and you were out to work. And these guys would take a two to three hour siesta in the afternoon, and then we'd work till dark because that was the environment. First day this happened, those guys leave and they go. Dad looks at me and says, where are these guys going? I said, it's 120 degrees. They're going to take a siesta. When the sun goes down a little bit, they're going to come back. He said, not us. I said, what do you mean not us? We came here to work. We're going to work. You're not taking a siesta. So he and I were the only two out there in 120 degrees every single day until day four. (laughs) And finally, dad came to me and said, you know what? These people are pretty smart. I said, yeah, I kind of figured you'd know that after a while. So we took a siesta and somehow survived it. Paul was in an environment where that was taking place. He would preach all morning and then go late into the evening. Let me give you an example of what happens sometimes when you do that too long and too often. Turn real quick to Acts chapter 20. I love this story. And I love Luke's rendition of it. Luke is the author of the book of Acts. He's kind of storyizing all that took place and trying to help them understand the context of everything. Paul was in one of those environments. He kept talking. And in verse 7 of chapter 20, this is what Luke says about Paul. He kept on talking until it was midnight. Now, there were a lot of lamps in the upstairs room. Seated in a window was a young man named Eutychus who was sinking into a deep sleep. This is what I love about how he writes. As Paul talked on and on and on. You ever feel like that every once in a while with a pastor who does that? Nobody that I would know, but you may. When he was sound asleep, not Paul, but Eutychus, he fell to the ground from the third story window and was picked up dead. Paul went down, threw himself on the young man, put his arms around him, said, don't be alarmed. He's alive. And he rose from the dead and they broke bread together. What I love about that version is that it can be explained in one of two ways. People would say this. 
It's very irresponsible of you pastors to talk on and on and on and on. You could kill somebody. (laughs) Pastors would interpret it this way. Fall asleep in church, God's going to get you. (laughs) It all depends on how you interpret Scripture. Verse Verse 9 of chapter 19. Paul is in this process of spending some time with them in the Word of God, helping them understand how to grow in wisdom. Remember, they came to faith in Christ, transformed by Christ. Now their desire is to grow in wisdom. Some of them became obstinate. They refused to believe and publicly maligned the way. So Paul left them. He took the disciples with him and had discussions daily in the lecture hall of Tyrrhenius. That went on for about two years so that all the Jews and Greeks who lived heard the Word of the God. The, the word that I want to point out out of that context here this morning is the word Daily. So underline it. It's the word daily. I really felt pressed by the Lord uh, a couple of weeks ago when I was looking at this section of Scripture to stop for just a moment in that particular context because I've heard so many people say on a number of occasions down through the last 30-plus years of my ministry life, I love Sunday. It so fills my tank. I love the music. I love the preaching. I love getting together with the family of God. But by Tuesday or Wednesday, man, I fall flat. And I can't wait till Sunday so I can get my energy back. I can get my tanks refilled. I can get energized again. And I totally get that. But what I want to say this morning is, do you realize the weight of responsibility that places on us? Do you realize the weight of responsibility if that's what you're depending on? to re-energize you, reduce you, prepare you for all the challenges of life, the ups and downs, the ins and outs, the things that go right, the things that go wrong, the unpredictability of that. If you're only depending on what we do on Sunday morning, do you realize the weight that that places on us to do it really well? And we will guarantee you. We will do it really well with the best of our ability. But what I want you to understand and what I really want you to clearly hear is the necessity of making sure you're spending some time with God on a regular basis day after day and not just waiting for Sunday morning to refill your tanks and re-energize you and rejuice you so that you can be able to be prepared for all the things that life's going to throw at you. Because let me just tell you right now, in case you didn't know this, life's out to get you tomorrow. (laughs) It is out to get you on Tuesday. It's out to get you on Wednesday. It's out to get you on Thursday. And what I'm encouraging you to do and what I've been encouraged to do down through the years, but especially in the last couple of years, is to make sure that I'm spending some daily time with God. Getting connected to him, reading, spending some time listening to his voice, spending some time in his word. It doesn't have to be an hour and a half. It doesn't have to be four in the morning. It can be two minutes here, three minutes there, praying on your way to work, listening to Christian music. But getting in the habit, getting in the pattern of spending some daily quiet time with God, some daily communion time with God. Caleb has this deal, you know, 30 days and 30 challenges. And they're, they're, it's great. I've done it. And you do. That's all I listen to now. But spending some time with God on a regular basis that re-energizes and reconnects you with him every single day of your life. And not just from Sunday to Sunday. Think of your marriage for a moment. Can you imagine what it's like to only have one conversation, one exchange of a conversation with your mate from one week to the next and not having any kind of conversations at all? Now, there are a dozen reasons that marriages fail inside and outside the church. But if you don't stay connected to your mate, then no intimacy has the opportunity to develop. If you have no conversations at all from one week to the next or maybe two weeks go by, do you wonder why there's no intimacy, no connection? Do you have any idea the amount of times that I've had ladies say, he just doesn't talk to me? 
What do they want you to do? Talk to them. That's pretty simple. They just want that connection, not just the physical connection, but the emotional connection that goes with that. And when we only do it periodically, now your schedules sometimes, I know it, are nuts. Where you're working day shift, she's working night shift, or vice versa. And you're like ships passing in the night, so you all of a sudden get a meal together or a time together. And, and you, you just have those moments where you're just trying to fit it in because life and your schedule is crazy. And I get that. But imagine in your mind what it would be like if you do that for a consistent period, day after day, year after year, month after month, year after year, and then wonder why aren't we like we need to be? Why have we lost the connection? Where is the intimacy that we used to have? It's the same in your relationship with God. It can't be, can't just be Sunday to Sunday or week to week or every couple of weeks because you missed one because of weather or events or circumstances and all of that so that, I, man, I can't wait for this Sunday because I've got to have my energy recharged because the world is killing me. Does it make sense? The necessity of a daily connection with God. And again, don't get so methodical that if I don't have it, life's going to fall apart. And if I don't do it right or don't do it long enough, things aren't going to go well. I'm not talking about manipulating God as if he's a vending machine where if I put the right things in, I get the right stuff out. But I really, I just want to stay connected to God. And I certainly don't want to wait till Sunday to do that. And so when I saw that section of scripture, I thought, Lord, this gives a great opportunity to remind us of how important that daily connection is with you on a regular basis because I see it all the time. I'm going to talk to these couples tonight. In a premarital seminar, I'm going to say to them, it's not just about the now, it's about the long haul. It's about 60 years from now. And what you want is to build such a solid foundation under this relationship that you're able to last 50 and 60 and 70 years. And it continues to grow sweeter as the days go by. I'm fascinated how my mom tells me that. 60, I'm 61, so 64 years they've been together. And, and I call her every Saturday and, and, and she says, it just is, this is awesome. Uh, getting connected and loving and talking and sharing. And finally, after 70 years, dad retired. I thought, well, that's good enough. You know, and now he's 87 and ready to slow down a little bit. And we're having the time of our lives. It just doesn't happen because he retired. It doesn't happen because all of a sudden, someday you said, okay, let's do this. It happens because of a constant, continual connection. It's the same with the living God. He wants to talk to you every day. He wants to hear from you. He wants you to hear from him and spend some time with him. We'll do our absolute best on Sunday morning, but it's way more than that. And when I saw that word daily, I wanted to point it out. Good things are happening to Paul everywhere he goes. Not because he's done anything specifically. He just does what he always does, knowing that life's going to have some amazing moments and some really dark times. Verse 11, things get better. <laughs> I love verse 11. God did extraordinary miracles through Paul. Did you ever wonder what miracles aren't extraordinary? They're amazing when God intervenes. Well, he goes on to define what he means by the word extraordinary. So that even handkerchiefs and aprons that touched Paul, him, were taken to the sick, and their illnesses were cured, and evil spirits left them. Okay, that is extraordinary. When a sweatband is taken off of Paul, or an apron that he wore when he was a tent maker, doing work was taken to somebody, and all of a sudden they were healed. When I saw that section of Scripture, I thought, Lord, isn't it like you to not be mechanical in the way you work? 
Isn't it like you to not always heal the way we think you should heal, not always heal the way James said we should heal or see you heal, but you work and how you work, and what we have to do is trust you in the process. So if you decide to use somebody's tanky or somebody's apron, or you decide in Peter's case to have his shadow go by and people were healed, if you decide in that context, like the woman with the issue of blood, I've got to test the hem of your garment. If you decide by James chapter 5 that I go through that process and I'm anointed with oil, if you decide like the children's bread that you talk about in the book of Luke, where I just come to you and I plead with you and I ask you to touch my body, whatever you do and whatever way you do it, don't let me get to the point where I feel like I've got to manipulate you. Just let me trust you. And when I saw that, I thought, how cool of God in one incident to do it this way, to remind us that he's God and he can do incredible things if we trust him. God can do what he wants to do when he wants to do it, the way he wants to do it. The issue is what I have to decide is will I trust him either way. It continues to get better. Some of the people were brought to him, found out the power was awesome, and they watched it take place. And the sons of Sceva were some of those. And they found themselves trying to command the demons, and it didn't work. When I saw that, I wanted to really spend some time, and you'll have all the sermon notes that go with that for this Sunday morning. First thing, you want to stay balanced in an unbalanced world. You've got to spend some regular time connecting with God. The second thing to stay balanced in an unbalanced world, you better know the enemy. You better understand how powerful he is. And you better understand the resources that God has made available to you. Because I'm telling you, life is coming your way. And some good things are coming your way and some powerful things are coming your way. And you and I have an enemy who's out to destroy you. He's not out to trip you up. He's not out to knock the crushes out from underneath you. He's not out to make sure your alarm doesn't go off so you miss church on Sunday morning. He is out to kill. If you're going to do battle with the enemy, you've got to know that you've got to stay connected to God and you've got to stay connected to the real source of power. What I have found in all my years of ministry, there are a number of different views on the demonic. You see it over and over again in the New Testament. You see evil spirits cast out all the time and sometimes we kind of brush over it because we don't know what to do with it. And then I found that there are pretty much three different views on the demonic. Some think they're everywhere. There's a demon for everything and a demon under every bush. Others don't think they exist at all. What I want to tell you this morning is the third view, which is the right one and a biblical one, is they are real, they are powerful, and they're out to get us. And what I want to remind you this morning is you dance with the devil, and you're on dangerous ground. Because he's going to beat you up, and he's out to kill you. What I see here in this context is that people who thought, oh, this is cool, man. Let's just manipulate the demonic, manipulate God, just, just do this kind of stuff. And they got beat up. If you want to dance with the devil, I just want you to know you're on very dangerous ground. Fifty Shades of Grey, there's no gray. In sexual relationships, it's to be pure within the context of marriage. There is no gray. And the people that are watching it and reading it and all that kind of stuff thought, oh, that'd be cool to experiment it's more subtle for women than it is for men. It's degrading of women, but it's even more subtle for them to try to say, well, let's just experiment. It's not that sexuality is to be reserved within the confines of a marital relationship as pure as God designed it, not to be experimented with outside of that and not to be manipulated in any graphic or demonic way that you see depicted in some of these things. And what are the odds that the guy's name is Christian? But yet I see so many times even believers in Christ who read this stuff and go to these movies or see these kinds of things and then wonder how in the world did things go to 
go to pot in our relationship or go south in our relationship because you've been dancing with a devil and he's dangerous and he's out to destroy. There are demons of darkness in this world out to destroy you and I. To maintain balance, we've got to be aware of how they work and we've got to understand what God has made available to us. And believe me, you will do battle. Ephesians 6, Paul said, look, let me remind you, this is not against flesh and blood, man. This is principalities and powers in evil, dark places who are out to get you. You talk to missionaries overseas, they're clearly aware of the demonic and the occult and sorcery and witchcraft and all the things that go with that. What we do is dabble with it in criminal minds and Salem witch hunt and all the stuff that you see on TV and think, oh, isn't that awesome what they're doing? As opposed to saying, are you kidding me? This is from the pit of hell. I don't want to watch it. Y'all saw the Super Bowl a few weeks ago, right? Advertisers spend millions of dollars for 30 seconds of time to convince you that your product or their product is the one you ought to have, right? I mean, that's just simple. They'll spend millions of dollars for 30 seconds of time to convince you that their product is one you ought to buy. You spend two hours watching trash or in a movie theater. Now, again, it's not against movies. You can go to movies. I grew up saying you shouldn't go to movies and shouldn't have TV. I have TVs in my house. I watch stuff. I'm not saying you shouldn't do that because then that gets too um, legalistic. What I'm saying is use your mind, use your heart, use your head. Use discretion. Understand that if I'm going to spend two hours watching this stuff, listening to that language, seeing this take place, do I think that it's going to have some effect in my mind if for 30 seconds they think that I'm going to buy their product? In those two hours, believe me, Satan is trying to get you to buy his product. He is out to get us and destroy us. Paul said, look, don't, let me give you an example. Don't let the, just one example. Don't let the sun go down upon your wrath. Because you're going to give him a foothold. Does that mean I can't be angry? He said, don't be angry and sin not. I get angry. But he said, you've got to be really careful because if you allow that to remain, you've given him access into your life. You've opened the door. And you're letting him come in. I, I remember reading a story years ago, and I wrote it down. Pete Maravich, he played in the 70s, actually from Aliquippa, I think. All right, basketball player. This is what he said. I took my first drink at age 14. Thought, no big deal. But it got a toehold. Then it got a foothold. Then it got a stronghold. Then it became an obsession. And eventually it possessed me. Strongholds are those areas in our lives that we leave unchecked, undealt with. And the enemy has an opportunity to build a beachhead. And I'm telling you, if you allow him to remain without dealing with the issue, he's out to kill you. For guys, it's lust, power, wealth. Not an occasional thought. I'm talking about that repeated pattern that James says very clearly. Look, you allow that to remain. It's going to stay. Then you're going to want to act on that desire. And I'm telling you, when you act on that desire, it's going to bring death to your life or to your marriage. For women, it's most common ones are anger, unforgiveness, bitterness, and jealousy. Growing up in a household with abuse. Experiencing those why God moments that caused me to so doubt that it leads to bitterness and I eventually walk away. False doctrine, the occult, drugs and alcohol where I'm rendered passive and just simply allowing it all to come in. Long-standing rebellion. There's just so many different ways that the enemy is out to get us. 
What you're going to see next Sunday morning in your sermon notes is scriptural basis for the fact that he's the adversary, the God of this world, the prince of the power of the air, the enemy, the tempter, the liar, the deceiver, and the murderer. We cannot be that naive to take the demonic for granted and to take the power of the enemy for granted in a world that is so surrounding us that is trying to cave us in. You want to stay balanced in an unbalanced world? How to stay connected to God. And not just week to week, on a regular, intimate basis with a God who loves you and loves spending time with you. You want to stay balanced in an unbalanced world? You've got to know the schemes of the enemy. And you've got to know that he's out to get you. So in those moments when life does unravel and he's been watching your life and he sees where your weakness is and he said, I know where I can get you. I'm telling you, I've watched you for months. I've watched you for years and I know your weakness. And one little crack, he gets in and he'll stay until you deal with the issue. And he's not just to stay to trip you up. He's out to destroy. Got to know the enemy. And we've got to know the tools that God's made available to us. Prayer, fasting, time in the word of God, listening to the voice of God, the name of Jesus, the blood of Christ, the truth of the word. So many resources. Peter said, look, I've give, God's given us everything we need, everything we need to fight the battle. But we've got to take advantage of it. Next week, the rest. Now you know. No way you could pull this in one sermon. Father, I thank you for your word. To be well with our soul that we sang a moment ago is a really critical issue, Father. Not just well in our life and, and things, but deep down in our soul. And there are a lot of things that come against us to try to get our soul to question who you are and what's going on in our lives and why things go well some days and so horrible others. And so, Father, continue to teach us well beyond these 35 minutes this morning. Continue to speak to us about what your word says and what you've made available to us and who's out to get us and why so that we can stand firm and strong. So, God, as we continue to unpack this, help us to clearly understand what you want us personally, not only corporately, but personally, to know and understand as we follow after you and grow in you. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Thank you so much for listening. Next Sunday morning, we'll finish the rest, and you will have notes for all of it so that you can catch up. God bless you. Have an amazing day.